and welcome to episode two of the Smarticle Particles podcast. I am your host and author of the Smarticle Particles series and future former president, Mira Rembus. This past week, the United States celebrated National Think-A-Mail Carrier Day, a day that celebrates the work put into the United States Postal Service. The USPS is a public organization that is funded through tax dollars by the American public. As a disclaimer, the views and arguments presented and expressed in rounds of debate are not necessarily the views or opinions of those debating that side. This is done for academic purposes to provide unbiased arguments for both sides. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 7 of the U.S. Constitution vests the power to create a national postal service and continental road system with Congress and Congress alone. This means the USPS is formally protected by the Constitution itself. DeJoy not only aims to violate the Constitution, but attempted to take a federal democratic election down with it. The resolution of today's case reads, DeJoy should be replaced. Speaking as the affirmative, the definition in today's round are as follows. DeJoy is Louis DeJoy, 75th U.S. Postmaster General, who was installed in May of 2020 under the previous administration. Should means ought to do. Replaced means to be removed from position or office and have another instated. The weighing mechanism of today's round is net benefit or whether removing DeJoy has more benefits than harms overall. My first contention outlines DeJoy's 10-year plan. According to the USPS website, essentially what this plan does is eliminates USPS's functionality over time by increasing pricing, rendering the service more difficult to use and making delivery more difficult. It gets rid of a significant percentage of blue box receptacles and formally gets rid of late delivery and overtime for employees. This affected the 2020 presidential election and coincided with executive attempts to delay and discourage mail-in ballot voting in a heavy mail-in ballot year due to the restrictions presented by the COVID-19 pandemic. This action itself has spawned a class action lawsuit by 20 states represented by the American Oversight Group. This plan is also unconstitutional for a number of reasons, but the implications coinciding with the election put the actions under the jurisdiction of voter suppression charges. Furthermore, it renders the use of a public service more strenuous in less funded places, which affects marginalized communities and their ability to equally utilize this public service. My second contention regards DeJoy as a person and his current ongoing scrutiny from the Federal Bureau of Investigation for campaign donor fraud related to the 2020 presidential election. DeJoy is accused of illegally incentivizing his employees to donate to the Trump campaign by paying those employees back through bonuses in order to circumvent donor limits made by individuals. These actions are still under scrutiny by the FBI, and combined with the actions that discouraged voters from mailing in ballots, can be used to determine illegal activity and election fraud. Not only does this investigation raise obvious causes for concern, but it also violates the U.S. Postmaster General's oath to uphold the laws and avoid interference with other practices of the federal government. My third and final contention today is that this replacement has been set up to already occur and take place. President Biden is not directly responsible for the replacement of the Postmaster General. He can recommend someone, but the USPS Board of Governors is responsible for the Postmaster General's confirmation. 
President Biden has replaced USPS Board of Governors member Ron Bloom, who was the one turnover vote needed to replace DeJoy in the first place. The removal and replacement of DeJoy has been set up, and the next obvious step is to carry out the action. Based on these circumstances, outlined in the contentions presented, the removal and replacement of DeJoy would be a net benefit to the role of the Postmaster General, to the U.S. Postal Service, and to the American people. I stand down for cross-examination. Alrighty, two minutes of cross-examination beginning right now. So the first question I have for you today is, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad that we're here today having this debate, and I'm sure this is going to be very constructive, and I'd love to see uh, some of your responses to what I have prepared for my future case. So I just have a couple little quick questions for you. The first question I really have is, uh, so in your first contention, you mentioned that the USPS's website itself says something about eliminating the service over the course of 10 years. Could you explain that a little more in detail? Yes, absolutely. So the wording of the site actually outlines the 10-year plan by explaining that the blue receptacle boxes are going to be moved from places that are deemed less uh, frequented than other places that are high population. Um, and it also talks about getting rid of late delivery practices and overtime for employees. Okay. You know what? That's really the only question I really had for you today. I believe the rest of the things are things I'd like to just address in my case. So thank you for this. Thank you. Alrighty, I'm going to jump right in and explain how I'm going to do this. So first I'm going to begin with resolutional analysis, then I'm going to jump to my two counter contentions, and then respond to my opponent's three contentions today. So first, the resolutional analysis. I agree with the definitions provided by my opponent today. There are no issues with them. I also agree with the weighing mechanism today and just really want to reiterate that we're talking about the harms versus the benefits to replacing the joy with somebody else. So first, I'm going to jump in with my counter contentions. My first counter contention is that DeJoy's plans are based on what is feasible and reality right now, not some unattainable future goals that we're going to try to work on right now. So CNN reports that DeJoy faced criticism for replacing some of the electric fleet with gas-powered vehicles. USPS's stated purpose of delivering mail to everywhere in the United States that really kind of conflicts with electric vehicles in a lot of places. The infrastructure just simply doesn't exist. For example, we may live in Nashville currently. There might be a little bit of electric uh, infrastructure here, but if we drive just 30 miles out of town to a rural place like McMinnville, there's not really any infrastructure for electric vehicles whatsoever. And sometimes these electric vehicles might not last the entire time that they need to be out delivering to everywhere in their area. Additionally, this actually has environmental impacts. Uh, roughly 81% of the United States energy still comes from fuel or coal, according to the United States Energy Infra Infrastructure Administration. <clears throat> what this means is, not only do we have to worry about the electricity plant themselves burning fuel still, or coal, which is even worse, we have to worry about the inefficiency of transferring that over power lines through the inefficient chargers into an inefficient battery to be burned by the electric vehicles. Whereas if we just burn the fuel straight at the source, such as the engine in the truck itself, we don't have to worry about all these inefficiencies being added to the equation. And finally, this will actually reduce the cost. As, as most everyone listening to this probably knows, the LPVs, which are the current USPS trucks most people know about, the little square ones, those kind of last forever. 
They don't really have that high of cost for anything and they're pretty reliable. So this will tie into my second counter contention today, which is making the USPS more efficient. So the plan isn't to phase out as my opponent stated in her case today. It is instead to make it more efficient, both in cost and in time over time. So as everyone probably knows, the United States just recently passed the $30 trillion federal debt mark. Now this plan, according to USPS's website itself, actually avoids $160 billion that will be pushed onto the taxpayer's dollar over the next 10 years. Sure, while we're implementing this plan, it might take an extra day and cost a few more cents to send a letter or a package, but over time, this will actually come back as savings to us and when we don't have to raise taxes to keep up with the losses that the United States Postal Service currently has. According to USPS's own website, as my opponent has mentioned and as I've already mentioned a couple times, this plan is called the Delivering for America plan. So the top priority as listed on the website is to preserve the affordable six-day mail delivery and expands the seven-day package delivery. Uh, further, this improves the cash flow to allow $40 billion of infrastructure, uh, of technology increasing and vehicles so that we're actually going to have a much better USPS over the ten, next 10 years. Additionally, this will stabilize the workforce. The goal is to cut turnover in half and allow more career progress for people who work for the USPS. Additionally, this is going to enable improvements to meet or exceed 95% on-time delivery and continental three-day delivery. So, at the end of this 10 years, you're still going to be able to send a letter from New York City to rural Idaho in three days for significantly less than a dollar, probably about 60 cents if I had to guess. That's not really something that we are going to continue to see if the USPS continues to have losses at its current rate. So moving on to my opponent's case today, I'm just going to tie some of my counter contentions in with the responses to her contentions today. So my opponent's first contention was, of course, talking about the 10-year plan, how it's essentially going to eliminate the function of the USPS. Well, as I believe I've shown throughout my entire second counter contention, the website actually says some really uh, optimistic and good goals for making the USPS as efficient as it is, if not more efficient over the next 10 years. Things like the money that they're going to save by slightly increasing delivery costs are actually going to be able to go back into things that my opponent are talking about that we're getting rid of. We're going to make delivery actually a little easier, or at least as easy as it currently is, without losing all that money. Removing the blue boxes, I don't really have a response to that because that might just be part of the making it more efficient part. But additionally, it still doesn't completely er eradicate access in less accessible areas. There's still going to be post offices in every little small census-designated place that people can obviously walk or drive to or ride a bike to to deliver or to send their letters out. Uh, my opponent also mentions how in the 2020 election there was a restriction for mail-in ballots and how there were all these restrictions in place and how there's uh, stuff going against the joy for that. However, this is just what we're seeing some baby step hiccups in implementing his plan. It's not necessarily that these were done out of malice, it's that these were done as part of making the USPS more efficient. Sure, some of them might have been a little short-sighted, but they're not necessarily character flaws as they are just little overlooks in the plan itself. And further, my opponent mentioned that this is unconstitutional, that it's going to talk about how marginalized groups are already going to have even harder access. I've already hit on this a little bit, but just to go back to my first counter contention, this plan is based on reality now. 
such as replacing some of the electric vehicles with gas-powered vehicles in places where the infrastructure doesn't exist. So if anything, it's actually going to slightly increase the ability for marginalized groups to access the USPS's service. Further, the contention too provided by my opponent is the FBI investigation and how there are allegations against DeJoy that he uh, allegedly provide bonuses to certain people who donated to Trump that worked under him. However, these are investigations, just allegations. And additionally, this doesn't necessarily warrant a removal of the joy since he has this plan. It actually, if anything, really needs to be a restriction placed on anybody. How do we know the next person that's going to replace DeJoy isn't going to do the same thing, regardless of whether it's for the same side, such as the Republicans, or for the Democrats like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? Moving on to my final response today, and that is my opponent's third contention, that there's already the setup for this to occur, but a setup doesn't necessarily mean should. Should, as defined by my opponent today, is ought to, meaning that we ought to do it. But just because something is set up doesn't mean that it necessarily ought to occur. It's for all these reasons that I believe that DeJoy shouldn't necessarily be replaced. Thank you. Alrighty, I've got a couple of questions for you in our cross-examination. Um, and I'll skip the pleasantries because we've already been through it. But my first question for you is, in your first contention, you reference feasibility and uh, the ability to work on things as right now instead of future goals. Uh, that does raise the question, this is a 10-year plan. Can you please elaborate on how the differences in a 10-year plan versus a right now plan are actually going to be implemented to still matter in 10 years? Okay, so yeah. Uh, as a 10-year plan, we need to start small and then work our way up. So by making it more efficient now, as I briefly hit on in my second counter contention, we can start to amass a little bit of a surplus in operating costs instead of uh, the constant cost that we have on our taxpayer bill right now. So as I mentioned, uh, we're going to improve the cash flow to allow $40 billion extra, which will go into infrastructure, technology, and vehicle right. overhauls over the next 10 years. Okay. So again, by making a little changes now, we can save that money so that 10 years from now, we're going to have much better vehicles, much better service, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, and second, uh, do price increases incentivize changing carrier services for something like the USPS? If the price changes are significant, yes. But even now with the proposed 3%, I believe it is, that they're doing per year, that would still take several years for the USPS to match the current cost that main competitors like UPS and FedEx offer for the same services. Okay. Um, and is 3% in the grand scheme of things that are already paid for with tax dollars considered a large percent? 3% is roughly what inflation's averaged out to for the past 100 years. Okay. Thank you. Alrighty, so the first thing that I want to talk about getting back into my part of the case, um, I want to address what was just answered in our cross-examination. Because in this last year alone, inflation raised by 7%. Um, if that continues throughout however long this pandemic lasts, this increased 3% will account for a total overall 10% increase, um, and that would disincentivize people from sending mail through the USPS. And while there are other services that are available, privatizing a public service cannot be equitable for all consumers, meaning that this will affect marginalized communities. 
getting back into my own case um, in response to my first contention, the 10-year plan. Uh, all of the examples that were given by my opponent talk about how these could end up being good for consumers in the full breadth of the 10-year plan. My question is, how is a lawsuit going to be beneficial. There is currently an ongoing investigation and lawsuit that is being placed against the Postmaster General regarding the actions that led to election fraud in the 2020 presidential election. While that might not seem like it is a big deal or that it could be an isolated event, actions warrant consequences. Also, in regard to uh, the second point under my first contention, this is all about accessibility and accessibility is actually about access. If it can help in the future, that's wonderful. However, what it did in the past caused marginalized communities to be unable to vote in mass in ways that were detrimental to not only their voice and their vote, but also to the function of the democratic process. Uh, under my second contention, Actions warrant consequences. Again, with the list of allegations and factual evidence that have been proven to be real uh, under the DeJoy investigation, uh, there still needs to be some kind of consequence uh, played out. And not just legally has he been in trouble, but he has also violated his own oath of office in other ways. And lastly, in regard to my third contention, uh, the clash that my opponent has given today just does not work under our weighing mechanism. Our weighing mechanism is net benefit. Um, and the reason that this is true is because if he is already set to be replaced, the response that was given that he shouldn't necessarily be replaced is not beneficial under today's weighing mechanism and that the stalling of action already in place would be counterproductive overall to the function of the governing board of the USPS. Um, I believe that all of my contentions and responsive have provided enough clash and for those reasons I believe that the affirmative is the winner in today's case. Thank you. Okay, so this is my final speech today, so I'm just going to jump right in and say thank you for letting me on this episode of the podcast, and I hope to be back for future episodes. This has been really fun, and I am sure that future topics are going to be even more fun than this one has been. So I'm just going to jump right in, give a couple responses to what my opponent said in her, final, her last speech, and give four voters, which are reasons why I believe that my case should be the one you take today. So... The first response that I want to give is just in a little comment my opponent said about uh, the increase in cost of this public service is going to essentially push people to go to private services like UPS and FedEx. However, the 3% proposed increase currently stays roughly with inflation. Actually, in this previous year, it's beaten inflation because inflation's been roughly 7%. Uh, so that doesn't really have any effect. Also, in the future, over the course of 10 years with that 3% increase, just then will it start matching the prices that we already have with private services like UPS and FedEx, whose main goal is to actually be profitable. The USPS's plan that we're currently talking about today is just to make it break even or even have a slight surplus to allow for infrastructure improvements, not to become profitable to line somebody's pockets like with private services. Additionally, my opponent really hit on the weighing mechanism today, and I, I agree that we should be talking about the weighing mechanism and really keeping it in our mind, because I believe that I still have stayed with the weighing mechanism, showing that there would actually be more harm to replacing him instead of then allowing him to continue in his position as Postmaster General. 
So moving on, I just want to go ahead and start with those four voters that I have today. The first voter is just that the USPS of the future begins now. As my opponents brought up some little negatives of things that have happened since we started implementing the plan, is that I even uh, talked about a little bit how we've had a little bit of hiccups on the way to the future where the USPS is better. However, this is a 10-year plan. That means that we're not going to see all the benefits in the first year and a half or two years now. We need to wait to the end of the 10 years to really see how it's impacted it. And if we look at what the 10 years are going to include, we're actually going to see a little bit of a surplus in the USPS's operating budget, which is going to allow for better infrastructure, technology, vehicles. Uh, as I quoted from the USPS's own website, uh, we're actually going to see more career progress for the people working, so we're going to see a benefit to the working class of the USPS. So in reality, yeah, there are going to be small issues now, but in the future, we're going to see a USPS that's as efficient, if not even slightly more efficient than it currently is, while also not having to hit and rely on tax dollars as much to keep away from that $30 trillion of debt that I'm sure is just going to be even astronomically higher by the end of that 10 years. My second voter today is that the USPS really needed this overhaul. Sure, you could replace them with somebody else who just is going to maintain the status quo, maintain what the USPS is, but we really need an overhaul. As I mentioned in an earlier speech, and is just kind of known, a lot of the USPS's truck fleet are the LPVs that have been in service for 20, 30 years. So yeah, maybe we need to start replacing those, even if they are still going to be replaced by other uh, gas burning engines, they're going to be much more efficient than those little boxes that we've had on the road for 30 years. The third voter I have today is that uh, my opponent didn't really hit any kind of responses to my counter contentions, especially my second counter contention based off of making USPS more efficient. My opponent did bring up in her first contention that this is essentially going to eliminate the function of the USPS. But in reality, as I've shown, it's actually going to make the USPS at least as good, if not a little bit better than it currently is, especially for the people who already work for the USPS, who are going to have better career options. The final voter that I have today is just that my opponent has not really brought up a, an alternative uh, appointment to be instated. So this next person could be even worse. Now, of course, I'll also grant that because that there's no alternative provided, it could be somebody better. But I've already shown that DeJoy already has a lot of really good things to his plan. So that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's going to automatically be better. It's very likely somebody could be worse. As I stated, it could be somebody who maintains the status quo and the USPS really does need an overhaul of some sort. Or it could be somebody worse. It could be somebody who uh, does the alleged thing in my opponent's second contention, but for the opposite side, or even for the same side, really. And we've already seen through Biden's other appoint appointees and through what he's stated for his Supreme Court nomination that he really does focus on ID politics a lot. So we might actually just see somebody placed in there just because of who they are instead of what they're going to do. It's for all these reasons that I believe DeJoy should not be replaced. Thank you. Starting my last speech, I want to state the USPS does not lose money. It costs money, which is collected through taxpayer dollars. And if the person who is responsible for running that organization is not fulfilling his oath of office, then he should be replaced since his money, since his salary gets paid through those taxpayer dollars as well. DeJoy should be replaced. 
The United States Postal Service is a function of the U.S. intended to deliver mail and goods to all Americans equitably. It was never intended to make or generate money, and the so-called success of the USPS is not linked to the amount of money that it generates or loses. My opponent today talked about his voters, uh, with his first and third voters being about efficiency and the future of the USPS. He also references in his second um, voter that the USPS needs an overhaul, and also talks about how that I have offered no alternative. Firstly, it is not the burden of the affirmative today to offer an alternative. It is my burden to discuss why the weighing mechanism of net benefit is more in favor of my own side. I still maintain that that is the case. Once again, talking about the 10-year plan, you can look at this from a position of it being good in the future, or you can talk about it from the position of equity. As answered in the cross-examination answer earlier, the privatization of a public service cannot be equitable for all consumers. And even though this is not an actual privatization process, the price increase can incentivize people from changing carrier services. That is important because individuals do not have equal access to these programs under a price increase. My opponent has also largely failed to talk about the ongoing class action suit in which 20 different states have formally filed suit against this postmaster general. In regard to the FBI and DeJoy, this has also largely gone unclaimed and un uncontested because regardless of whether or not people agree with his actions, he has failed not only legally, but also he has failed by refusing to acknowledge his oath of office when he signed on to be the Postmaster General. And third, choosing to not follow through with actions already set in place is counterproductive to the actions of the USPS Board of Governors, and counterproduction cannot be beneficial under today's weighing mechanism. For those reasons, based on the voters of equity, lawsuit, and the consequences that must be played out, I urge you to consider the affirmative side in today's case. Thank you. That would have concluded the part where the judges then would have gone into deliberation and talked about why they thought that one of us would have won. And now we're going to instead talk about our sources and a little bit of background about the United States Postal Service, because again, this is supposed to be in commemoration of National Think a Mail Carrier Day. Uh, so I'm joined once again with Johnny. Hello. Um, and I hope that he will return like he said he would, because he has to return home to me every day, because we're getting married, so he's stuck on the podcast forever. Anyway, um, so a couple of sources that we have pulled up right now are directly related to the debate earlier today, and, you know, do you have anything you want to add before we just start talking about our sources? Um, if I had to go into any kind of specific, really... Uh, a few things I remember from the debate itself that can really be used is just kind of showing people what happens during a debate round. Uh, for example, you might have listened to my second speech, not including the cross-ex, the second five-minute-ish speech that I gave. 
Uh, and notice that I didn't really bring up the lawsuit that Miera had mentioned in her case. And that's something that you can do in, in debate. I wouldn't personally recommend it's it. It's not a good idea. Yeah, it, it's not typically a good idea to ever drop your opponent's points. But sometimes you just have absolutely no response to a certain point, And it's better to kind of hope that everybody forgets about it if you don't mention it. Uh, that, it's worked in my favor a couple times where I've just completely not mentioned something and then my opponent forgets to mention it, so it's kind of dropped from the entire argument, not just my part. Uh, other times, of course, it's come to bite me in the butt where I won't bring it up in my first speech even. And sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally, I'll forget it. And then at the end of the round, my opponent would be like, oh yeah, by the way, he dropped this one point that I had, which really flows in my favor because he obviously didn't have a response to this. So it's something very important to the topic today. Yeah, and and some jargon that might not be clear. Uh, when something is referred to as flowing to one side or another, when you are taking notes on a debate, it is called flowing because you literally use a flow chart to indicate what is happening on both sides of the debate. It looks different for different people, but it is usually done with a legal pad turned sideways, and you literally continue to write in shorthand until you get the entirety of what that person is saying. Mm-hmm. We talk very fast in a real live debate. Yeah. So getting all of the words in is sometimes difficult to do. At minimum, that's what the standard style of note-taking is. I actually have a very different t- style of note-taking because my handwriting's pretty bad. That's okay. Uh, And so trying to do it in a traditional flow, I often miss enough of the detail to the point where it just doesn't work out. Also, I am some level of neurodivergent, and I also do a lot of programming. So whenever I do my flow, I kind of do it a little more like I would write code for a program instead of writing notes for a debate. Or at least as what most people think of as notes for a debate. So they'll be much more categorized. I'll use symbols to refer to, like, this is something I want to uh, mention in cross-examination, et cetera, et cetera. There's several different things that it really could be that I do that are very different from other people's, but, hey, it works for me, and I've broken at a national tournament. I went undefeated at a state tournament, so... Just because your note-taking style might be different or you're not really good at one note-taking style doesn't mean that the one that works for you is worse or better necessarily. It's the one for you. You could say, so to speak, that depending on how you want to flow on a page, you're just going with the flow. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you could call it that. (laughs) Anyway, um, another important disclaimer that we do need to make Um, Johnny and I are relatively in agreement with a lot of our personal beliefs and neither one of us are at liberty to say specifically what we believe is the right side of this debate, but the things that we argued are not necessarily reflective of what we actually believe. We assigned these sides for a reason uh, and that was just because our research type works better with the two sides that we chose. Yeah, so. like, I, I don't necessarily like DeJoy, and by that I mean I actually really do not like DeJoy. But I was... there. There's a fine line between just bad faith argumentation, or if you want to call it academic dishonesty, and 
taking something you disagree with, but at least showing why there is some merit to believing it. And that's what I really feel debate does for most people. Absolutely. Is teach them to at least see why somebody could believe something. Absolutely. So, for example, I really do not like DeJoy, but while doing research, I can at least see why some common person might think, well, I think he actually is doing mostly good for the USPS. Right. And another important thing is sometimes in debate you run into a topic that you don't really have an opinion on. And after having to prep one side of the case or going against a particularly good debater, you will suddenly have an opinion that you didn't really know you had. And that's because of the content that you have found. That happens when you don't have an opinion. And that happens almost more often when you do have an opinion. You either really solidify the position that you had or you completely change your mind on a, a topic that you thought you really understood. And it's not uncommon for that to happen. So tangent set aside i think it was good it was necessary it was a good talk the united states postal service yeah we're back so the usps is a pretty important organization one that obviously is in the process of being overhauled under the current postmaster general louis DeJoy. and the usps is one of the oldest organizations in the united states it actually dates back to 1775 it is a year older than what is considered the United States itself, and it originated as a pony mail service uh, for colonists. It is one of the handful of organizations that are specifically vested power by the Constitution, and that's, that's a pretty big deal because the original Constitution, meaning the actual Constitution with a capital C, not the Articles of Confederation, but the unamended Constitution, it, it is pretty deliberately this is what the executive does this is what the legislature does this is what the judicial side does not in that order i said it back but this is what each of them do one of the things under the executive branch is specifically you can make mail and you could make roads and then they did yeah it's, it's overall a pretty short straightforward document without a lot of extra fluff it really is if you're interested in finding out more go ahead and uh go to your amazon web browser and type in smarticle particles and constitutional articles you can read all about the card the constitution the articles and amendments anyway if i'm not mistaken the average reading speed you could get through it in about 45 minutes way faster than that surely. I, I, it's been a while since i've read all the way through it but i was thinking it was about 45 minutes for a average person to read through it this is referring to the constitution not to the children's book yeah anyway i would be impressed if it took you 45 minutes <laughs> to read anyway it. the tangent once again over the point is uh the usps is really really old older than most people realize the first postmaster general of the united states was none other than benjamin franklin who did not fly a key and a kite that's not true it's not real so never been struck by lightning that we know had never been done so anyway once again so the u.s postal service is really old is protected by the constitution and is in danger that's what you should take away from this part of the debate although is it really in danger we're trying to figure out what is causing it to be in danger because is it DeJoy? not technically not not holistically not exclusively rather like he's done some things that have definitely done harm but as we saw you can actually look at it in a positive light too yeah you you definitely can and some of it has to take certainly some finagling i would say you do have to finagle the, the position for a couple of the things that we debated earlier today but what is actually more responsible for the the costs and loss associated with 
the U.S. Postal Service, because as, as I discussed on the affirmative side, the U.S. Postal Service does not lose money, it costs money, which is different, uh, because the U.S. Postal Service is a service that is, is funded through tax dollars. So it does not lose money, it literally is provided for by people who pay their taxes, which is everybody who has a job that pays with a paycheck, because it's taken out automatically. And so, it's not even technically that dissimilar to food stamps. You yeah. wouldn't say food stamps loses $100 billion no, a year. No, you wouldn't. You would just it say costs that... us $100 billion a year to ensure that we're not letting people starve. Also, for the record, I don't think food stamps cost us $100 billion a year. I, I, just as an example. Because right. the USPS, right. I believe, was estimated to be about a about 100 to $160 billion every 10 years that it would rely on taxpayer dollars. Right, 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 right. So... The thing that is actually more responsible for this quote-unquote hemorrhaging that we are trying to fix or mitigate or prevent from continuing uh, was the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act that was passed in 2006. And the reason for that being such a huge cost to the Postal Service program is because, in theory, this is good. I do want to say that. In theory, this is sound, it checks out, but in execution, was not. What the the uh, payee, well, that's what, a payee, P-A-E-A, what it essentially did was make it so that the USPS had to have at least 50 years worth of retirement benefits saved up for future postal workers. And they had to have that all at once, which means that the money that they would normally have made back in, you know, the revenue that they would form so that the Postal Service wasn't costing so much money uh, now also has to be reallocated for pensions, which, again, is a good thing because if you look at, you know, (laughs) the yearly budget for things like Social Security, we will bankrupt the Social Security system before most of us have the chance of reaping the benefits, which is sad and sucks, but also... (sighs) It's just part of the way that our government works. So, yes, that is what is more responsible for it because that is such a large cost to the the U.S. Postal Service. That is more what is responsible for that big cost. Now, back into the actual debate itself. If if you want to get your your argument, you can get it. Um, but regarding some of the things that we talked about in DeJoy's 10-year plan, that was my first contention. You can actually find all of the information about DeJoy's 10-year plan on the USPS website. And if you go to about.usps.com slash newsroom, you can, you, can talk all about, you can talk all about the outcome of the 10-year plan, but you can also actually get legislative newsroom updates of, like, the postal news. For example, we've got it pulled up right now on national news. The most recent thing was from three days ago, talking about the mail delivery time changing. Just so you know, the national average for mail delivery time was 2.8 days across the nation in January, which is pretty good. Uh, But you can also watch live remarks made by the Postmaster General um, and CEO. <laughs> so you can you can find a lot of stuff and a, a lot of local news as well as national news, testimonies, speeches, media content. There's also actually a USPS blog uh, that is called the Postal Posts, which is just cute. There is also a podcast as well, which is 
interesting. This is, you learn things every day. And it's called Mailing It, which is also really cute. So, you can listen to that on the USPS website. But those are just some of the things that you can find on the USPS website that I think are important. You can find a majority of what the proposed 10-year plan actually does. And if you want to find what the 10-year plan does in like actuality, you can just look up Lewis DeJoy 10-year plan. You can find the the legitimate wording of it in the Wikipedia article yeah. if you want to. It's called the uh, Delivering to America? Yeah, Delivering the, for America. The Delivering for America Act. Um, uh, also, what's a little surprising to me is USPS's website is just USPS.com. It's not... It makes sense to not be USPS.gov, though I can see a case for it. I would almost more expect it to be USPS.org. Yeah, .org is what I'm thinking. Like, for example, Wikipedia's.org, but... Yeah. Um, and on the front page of the About page where it says Welcome, the first the first thing is USPS response to COVID-19, um, and then stuff about the 10-year plan delivering for America, our vision and 10-year plan to achieve financial sustainability and service excellence. And one of one of the things that I think needs to be talked about. There's a PDF. There is a PDF. Our our plan at a glance and a PDF, and it's awesome. I will warn you, there are half inch margins on this this PDF, it's, which is weird to read. There were certainly design choices. <laughs> Some somebody made a choice when they were designing this. Anyway, um, but again, one of the things that is important when reading this kind of language is that the language used to talk about acts passed in executive agencies like the USPS is created by the people like the same people who write the act itself so obviously there is not going to be anything that is proposed as negative obviously there is not going to be anything that is proposed as negative to the USPS on the USPS page. A lot of the things that we see regarding the changes to mail delivery um, are coming from like the class action lawsuit that I referenced uh, earlier in part A of my first contention from the American Oversight Group, or they are mentioned through organizations like the ACLU or through voting rights advocacy programs because unfortunately this plan did roll out at the same time as mail-in ballots were a really big deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. And whether or not that was intentional, we don't really have a specific way, but many people do believe it was intentional because, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the validity of mail-in ballots. And in all of the time that we have had mail-in ballots in the United States, I mean, the first group of people that did it were literally soldiers in uh, the Civil War. So clearly we've been using mail-in ballots for quite a minute there. So, yeah, uh, going back a little bit to what you're talking about, how uh, the wording on the website is going to, of course, be very positive and not negative. Mm -hmm. I mean, a good example of that that you can see is in my case during our debate earlier, my entire second counter contention was basically just stating the points on the website itself, like what it said. When I said top priority, it preserves affordable preserves affordable six-day mail, expands the seven-day package delivery. That's the very first line. Maybe not on the PDF, but on uh, on the website's like short, here's the short of it page. It shows that as the very first thing. So it, it's all very intentional rhetoric. Of course, they're not going to say, 
oh yeah, we're getting rid of some mailboxes in places where access to cars and other transportation is already kind of low, which makes it where you have to go a little out of your way to get it. There, it's not going to say that obviously. Right. No, no person in power, at least no smart person in power, is going to create a plan for people using a public service and say, hey, we're taking these out of places where people are poor or where people need them specifically or where people are in marginalized communities that don't have access to things that people who can afford to send things overnight or send things through, you know, programs like Amazon or UPS. Like, there is a reason that that was brought up and the reason that the privatization question happened during cross-examination, that that's why that was brought up in the first place because it doesn't... It doesn't check out that somebody would propose that and call it a good thing. Um, now, that being said, that being said, what Johnny did in his part of the debate is absolutely valid. However, if you are taking our debate as some learning experience, which we hope you do, um, you will also recognize that there is a very egregious bias in doing so. The person who is advocating for a program should not also be the person who wrote the program because obviously you won't want to talk about the negative aspects of a program that you want to have passed because you wrote it so in the future in debates we will always talk you know after the debate what is going on we will always talk about the sources that we found the bias that was found in this part of the debate is just a uh, a research bias because using the actual figure itself and using the actual source itself to solidify why it is a good choice it's like self-fulfilling it is it's creating an absolutism where there isn't really one so i would i would caution everyone from doing that if you decide to get into a debate at your next family function the next family function that's regularly scheduled will be easter or passover good luck (laughs) just be careful making the making the connections because the dots connecting aren't always causation. They aren't always causation. They're sometimes not even correlation. They are just coincidence. The three careful C's of understanding debate. Yeah, that was a very important one. Uh, One time I got second place at a debate tournament with my partner and what the round really came down to was the difference between correlation and causation. And my side was making the argument that correlation is a lot less important than causation. And my opponents tried to say correlation is as important. Sometimes it's even more important than causation. And we ended up losing the round. And I don't recall what the reason for decision was. I don't even think it was related to that specific argument. But I remember we were pretty shocked when we lost the round because we really explained in pretty solid detail how causation has a direct cause like a direct cause and effect whereas correlation you know so one age-old example that's given to differentiate between correlation and causation is the example of uh, ice cream sales versus shark attacks whenever ice cream sales dramatically increase so do shark attacks now that doesn't mean that buying ice cream makes you much more likely to be attacked by a shark not in any way shape or form (laughs) not necessarily but what happens is during summer months when it's really hot people go to the beach meaning they'll be in the water where sharks are so there will be more people in the water for sharks to attack right and there were also going to be more ice cream sales because it's it's hot hot. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, yeah, good so, yeah, example. We didn't use that exact example, I don't believe, but we basically explained something to that effect for the round. So when we lost, we were very shocked. But that's just another principle of debate. If you trust your judge to make the right decision every time, you'll be pretty disappointed. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, getting away from my first contention and talking about Johnny's response to that contention is his entire second contention, which was a response. Um, <laughs> another thing that I did in the affirmative side is talk about something entirely separate from the actual issue. Um, and the reason that that's important is because this was this was a values-based round. Like, this, this was... Our weighing mechanism was net benefit. So really all that I would have had to do is prove that it is more beneficial to remove DeJoy than it would have been to keep him. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I brought up DeJoy possibly being part of illegal activity is not actually because he is in jeopardy of being arrested or indicted for that activity. It is because... He has violated an oath of office, which, again, doesn't really seem like it's a huge deal in the grand scheme of things since he also is literally being, you know, gone after for supposed voter fraud and campaign finance fraud, which are two very, very higher scale crimes, you know, in the grand scheme, again. The larger issue is that if you're going to try and prove why somebody should be removed from a position and outside action can't be responsible, I tied in his illegal activity to an oath of office that he was required to take and is also outlined in the Constitution through the Postal Service provision. So that, that was something that seems like it might be a little bit of a branch to go out on, but if any of my... If any of my arguments were going to have won me that round, it would probably be that he violated his oath of office. Not that he did yeah. anything illegal, not that he was bad, not that, you know, I don't know, not not that he has all of these ideas, not that he is from one political party or another. Uh, it would either be that or the lawsuit mentioned by the American Oversight Group. Yeah, and just to go back a little bit on what you were saying about your burden being just to show that it does more benefit than harm... Uh, another principle of debate is, as negation, I don't necessarily have to show that it would cause more harm than good. I could show that it would do an equal amount, which is kind of what I tried to do, but I try to also avoid getting too technical during the actual round itself. Uh, but basically, my case was trying to make the argument that, at minimum, by replacing DeJoy, we're not really getting benefit more so than harm. We're getting an equal amount. So yeah, it might be beneficial to get rid of somebody who's controversial, who has an FBI investigation, but we're getting rid of this 10-year plan where we're going to have a better USPS, the USPS of the future in 10 years. So you do kind of become a used car salesman at some times. Yeah, again, you... going back to the <laughs> academic, academic dishonesty versus the understanding what somebody says, I still think that's not on the academic dishonesty. I don't feel like I ever directly said any kind of lies right. during it's, the round. It's not technically untrue, but it certainly is its own form of Mr. Fantastic-ing, if you will. It's certainly a stretch. Like I, I don't even know if I necessarily call it a stretch. It's really just taking somebody's words at face value instead of analyzing the actual effect of what it's had. Right. So... 
even then, I don't know if you could call that any level of dishonesty. Because, right. again, it's, I didn't tell pers- any lies. It's just a perspective that, that I he, knowingly did so. Right. It's just a perspective that he doesn't technically share. And I will I will hand that to him. I will, I will give him a pat on the back. Because I did ask him to take a position that was really the harder of the two positions. Because we are in agreement you know, on, on, you know, this topic in general. Yeah. And I asked him today to disagree with himself and he learned a little bit in the process which is fun and good but also yeah. it didn't really change all that much because for every every valid source that you found on his side i'm sure there were plenty of opinion pieces on the affirmative yeah i looked up <laughs> just to start my research i did a simple search that was the joy should not be replaced and i found one positive article in a sea of like 13, 14 right. in a row that were just like, DeJoy should be replaced right now. And I'm right. like, well, this is exactly. nice and good to see. Another important thing that I think is actually one of the most, I, I would say probably one of the most important parts of actually debating would be my third contention. And the reason for that is because... Inherency. Inherency. But for, like, separate of inherency... There were two technical parts to my third contention, and that was that, first of all, President Biden is not responsible for replacing DeJoy. And if you follow, you know, Instagram accounts that are anti-Biden, or if you follow Instagram accounts that are anti-Trump, even, if you if you follow pretty much anybody and you are waiting for President Biden to fulfill any of the, you know, what feels like hundreds, but it's probably only dozens of campaign promises, you know, uh, uh, more than a year into his his candidacy and a year into his administration, you'll know that he has not followed through with every single one of his promises, and he he doesn't have a great record for it at this point in time. Yeah, he's an like a issue, solid D minus. An issue though is a lot of campaign promises get made on the campaign trail, and unfortunately, when you are making those promises, you are not necessarily promising something that you yourself as president are capable of doing or are responsible for doing. So, in highlighting that President Biden has not done it, it's also important to recognize President Biden technically does not have the authority to do it. Yes, At least not the direct authority. Right, not direct authority. So the USPS is something that is structured under... The executive branch, absolutely, and as chief executive of the United States, it sounds like it would be something that President Biden could do, except that there is an entire governing board over the USPS, and he is responsible for appointing people to that, and he makes a recommendation for who should be the new U.S. Postmaster General. Mm -hmm. They then get to vote on who it is going to be, and they get to confirm that person. He can, once again, make a recommendation... But he cannot just remove him. He cannot just remove DeJoy, regardless of what his opinions on the guy are. He has set up, he, he has set up the layup, so to speak. He's just got to wait <laughs> for somebody else to come and dunk it. But, you know, that that is the extent of, of sports things, I will say, ever. <laughs> uh, but he he has set up the move, and it is now really up to the, the board, the governing board of the USPS, to actually do it. The reason that that part is the most important part in real life debate, not just like sitting in a debate room with a judge, but in explaining things to relatives, colleagues, friends, strangers on the internet, 
the reason that that is important is because for some reason we're all under the impression that the president can do a heck of a lot more than they can. And they just don't. They just can't. Um, About the only direct effect he could have is if the FBI finally does arrest DeJoy, he can pardon him. And that's, yeah, and that's about it. I don't know that he would or why he oh, would. I, he, yeah, there's he, not really any reason for him to. almost invariably would not. But, I'm just saying, like, he can. That's right, the only thing he really and, could directly do. Right. The governing board could decide to remove DeJoy for violating his oath of office. He certain, they, like, they certainly could do that. And Biden could congratulate them for doing so. And I I don't know buy them a cocktail but like they give could him a medal. yeah well i don't think he'd give he'd give out medals i mean no he reason. could but i don't think he'd be like you know you guys really did get rid of somebody who wasn't the greatest on the usps good for you here's a presidential medal of freedom no malarkey <laughs> but you know it's that part i think is more important to me because you're not going to hit people with with the wham bam you know Here's what the plan says. Have you read it? Because the average everyday American is not going to sit down and read a ten-year plan. I mean, there's not really a reason to. And unless I you at least think about ten seconds in the future, right? And if you if you don't know if you don't know the political jargon that are used, or you don't know the legal constraints that are used in legal writing, you're not really going to understand a lot of of the content that you're expected to argue on behalf of. Or if you see more than three numbers and completely dissociate, like yeah. some people I know. So, some people are just that way, and that's that's okay. But I really think that it's important that when you find a topic that is structured like this, the point of this this resolution was to highlight that we have to thank mail carriers. I gave our mail carrier coffee. I hope they liked it. I don't know which of our mail carriers came and got it. We have three of them. Um, but and I've never had the chance to be here when they got here. Yeah, we, we both work nine to five. But anyway, um, it, it is to celebrate male workers who, you know, the men and women in blue socks <laughs> who are out there every day delivering our mail and talking about the actual future of the USPS because it is going to change a lot in the next 10 years regardless of what ends up happening and if that plan continues just by the necessity of times changing and it's changed a lot since the fateful day in 1775 when Benjamin Franklin took the first oath of office as a postmaster general so when you have the chance to finally sit down and type away to your heart's content correcting somebody on Facebook think about whether or not they have considered all of the contentions in this argument because yes one and two are obviously important if you don't know the plan you shouldn't really be arguing on the plan if you don't know enough about what's going on with DeJoy or why he would be removed maybe you shouldn't talk about that the most important part though is point out hey while I maybe think that he should be removed that's not Biden's job he can't do that so why has Biden not replaced him yet because he literally cannot he literally cannot do so that's why he hasn't because it's not under his jurisdiction and him trying to do so would be you know uh it'd be a violation of i don't know probably the non-delegation doctrine i don't know it'd be something what do i know i just have two degrees so anyway um but yeah so that is all you probably wanted to know in more than you could want. Way more than way you, more than you could know. want to know about the u.s postal service and um Rain, snow, sleet, or hail. 
They'll deliver we what deliver you mail. deliver what you mail. They'll deliver what you mail. It's actually from Animal Crossing. So, Nintendo, if you're listening to this, please don't copyright strike us. Actually, Nintendo sponsored podcast. <laughs> if you want to sponsor this podcast, I will gladly take a Star Fox poster. Absolutely. Um, we watched, you know, a lot of videos today about conspiracy theories about several of your games. So, come talk to us. But, anyways, that being said... Um, Thank you for tuning in to episode two, and thank you for understanding our delays with some of the things that have happened recently in the news regarding streaming platform services that will remain unnamed. Uh, There has been a little controversy on where you decide to stream your podcast episodes. So thank you for whichever one you're tuning into, and thank you for understanding the delay, and thank you, Johnny, for being here with me. Of course, and I can't wait to be on the next episode. Heck yeah. Um, anyway, we debate when, why, and how, so until next time, bye for now.